Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you all today. Hopefully everyone uh, stayed nice and dry as they were coming in this morning. Uh, yesterday, I um, had the privilege to go with our third through sixth graders to camp for a day. And I'm so grateful for all of you who uh, made that trip um, happen. Our kids um, had a great time. We were challenged um, in God's Word um, to abide in Christ, to spend time with Him, and uh, to surrender our lives um, to Him yesterday as we walked through the woods and played games and uh, did all kinds of fun things. But I've got to be honest, there was a few moments where I relived some of um, nightmares from my childhood. Um, I know, it's a great way to start, but so, so there we were, and I, I've shared with you guys before of my, my love for like dancing and hand motions. So, and, and for those of you that don't know, I mean, you, you can probably imagine how skilled this right here is at um, movement and rhythm. So there I, I found myself, you know, they're doing these fun, exciting songs, and I'm like, great, everything has a hand motion, everything. And they're not just like, you know, deep and wide, you know, those kind of hand motions. It's dancing hand motions. Like, they're, they're dancing. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I'm a leader. I need to represent here. And I'm like, the, the guys behind me, they're like sixth grade boys. I don't know if you know sixth grade boys, but when you're sixth grade and you're a boy, it's just not typically all that cool to dance, especially if you can't dance. So there I am, you know, trying to do like happy dance and all kinds of stuff that I can't do really awkwardly uh, with them. And um, God has a sense of humor, you know, two of them didn't. <laughs> and uh, one, one of them did. And uh, proud of that particular one, uh, he happens to be here this morning. So that was great. But I wanted to start out by sharing um, another story from uh, my sixth grade years. And um, as, as a young kid, was excited to go on my first youth retreat. And we were going to kind of a camp kind of place up in uh, Mansfield, um, Ohio. And I, I, I was jacked. Like, this is going to be so much fun. You know, I'm thinking youth ministry, I mean, put, your, put yourself in the mind of a, a sixth grader. Um, I'm like, oh, we're going to have like tons of really awesome stuff to eat. We're going to play all kinds of like super awesome games. And we're just going to do like fun, crazy stuff all night. And, and then we're going to like play a bunch of pranks on everybody all night. It's going to be like the best weekend of my life. So we, we get there and I don't know what month of the year it was, but it was, it was just cold enough to be cool at night, you know, sit around a campfire kind of night, and um, the fun started. Everyone, including like the, the youth pastor, is, is taking cups of cold water, and they're running around, we're throwing it on each other, um, and I was, yes. This is what I have waited for my whole children's ministry life. I'm finally at a youth retreat. So I'm like, okay, I, my, my um, five-gallon jug that I was using as ammunition, it, it emptied. So I went to another five-gallon jug, you know, the old ones, you know, the igloo, the yellow ones that we always thought as kids that came from McDonald's, but apparently they don't. Um, and they're not always filled with orange high C drink. 
So I, I go to this one. I've got the styrofoam cup. I'm ready, you know, because my youth pastor um, and his cronies, you know, they, they just got me, and it was my turn to get them back, and I, I was going to get them. So I get my styrofoam cup, and I go, and, and I get it, and I, I start walking around, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. My, my cup, it's actually, like, there's, like, steam coming from. Like, that's, like, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're reliving a nightmare that I've had most of my life. Thank you. So it's, like, it's steaming. And I, I'm a sixth-grade boy. You know, I love, you know, hanging out with sixth-grade boys. But as sixth-grade boys, we're not, like, the, the smartest, you know, tools in the shed in, in moments. So I, I go to my youth pastor. I'm, I'm going behind him, you know, doing the whole sneak thing. And, I mean, I, I, was, I was into it. And I take my cup, and I, I dump it. You know, I got him good. Right, right down his back. And in, in the next moments, I mean, I, I can, I'm reliving them here as I'm talking, shaking, talking about this. He, he, his hands went up and he, he screamed, um, a blood-curling scream. And I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> like, that's a weird reaction. I'm like, I, I thought, you know, we were like playing like he just died, you know. And in, in the moments to come, I see other people coming, like, to him. To, and I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't like a celebratory moment. I'm not sure still what happened, but uh, there, I, there I was playing this, this game with, with all of my friends, super excited to be there. And I realized, oh, oh, no, that, that wasn't cold water, that that was hot water, and however hot it was, it just caused my youth pastor to scream in pain. So as, as I kind of faded to the background, you know, the leaders kind of took over this moment, and they got him, you know, into the, the house, and uh, it, was, it was serious. And I'm just trying to hide and not let anyone know it was me, although it's pretty obvious, um, and just to just disappear. But I knew it was serious as the leaders stayed in there for five minutes, ten minutes, a half an hour, and I'm, I'm still just outside, like, what, what in the world do I even do? Everybody probably thinks I'm like the worst human being in the world. And um, eventually, um, one of the leaders comes out, and because um, the, the paramedics came, I forgot that part. <laughs> that was, I mean, flashing red lights, that's never good. Um, so the, the paramedics came, and um, one of our leaders came out and said, yeah, he's got second-degree burns um, all down his back. And I, I'm like, I don't really know what that is, but I'm pretty sure it's really bad. And they're like, yeah, they're, they're going to take him to the hospital so they can take care of this. And I'm like, oh, my. Um, how can I just, I just want to go home. How do I get out of here? And, 
And then a, a few minutes later, another leader comes out and says, hey, he'd, he'd like to talk to you. I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, I don't want to be anywhere, but I definitely don't want to be there. And because um, he, he was also known for um, not, uh, not being the most gentle of souls. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I, I'm like, all right, I deserve it. I'm going to go in, and he's going to rake me over the coals and tell me how awful of a human being that I am and um, that I should be punished and banished and all of these kinds of things. But in my head, somehow I had enough courage uh, to go in knowing that I deserve whatever it was that I was about to get from him and the other leaders because they were pretty ticked off with me. So I go in... And I, I don't remember much of um, the conversation that we had, but at some point, as um, soon as he began to start talking, I, I realized, okay, he's not yelling at me, and I, I knew I deserved it. And he began to tell me, like, yep, it, it hurts, but I, but I want you to know um, I forgive you, and you, you, don't, you don't have to worry about this you didn't mean this, you didn't intend this, um, and um, in, in that moment, um, I understood a different level of what forgiveness looked like. And to this day, I mean, I'm still haunted. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in youth ministry, ironically. <laughs> so uh, wherever I go, I, I'm thinking, you know, what goes around comes around, I, and my youth leaders will tell you, I've never, ever, ever had um, a yellow igloo uh, five-gallon water jug uh, with hot water in it, <laughs> nor will I. <laughs> and if, if someone happens to bring that, I, I'm either dumping it out on the ground <laughs> or I'm, I'm just leaving. And um, I, I think I share that. Uh, because the, the, the story that we're going to read um, this morning um, has many um, thoughts of failure, of shame, as I would have felt in that moment, of, of guilt, as well as um, God's forgiveness. Um, so today, as we celebrate um, Palm Sunday, where Jesus rode into Jerusalem and people thought that he was about to take um, an earthly throne right then, and uh, right there. Um, I want us to see that, that Jesus didn't come to do that at that moment, um, but he came to earth to die for our sin, um, to take uh, the penalty of death for all of us so that each of us might, um, we, we might understand what it means to be forgiven, that he would take our shame and our guilt and our pain, and he will redeem those things. And this morning, I want us to see that what Jesus did is a definition of love, and it's a love that forgives our sin. Would you pray with me? God, today, as, as we are about to open your word and to read it and to talk about it, God, my prayer is simply this, that you would speak to us and challenge us God, that uh, you would bring uh, to our mind things that uh, we have not laid at your feet. 
where we too might be feeling shame or guilt. God, where we maybe have never surrendered our life to you and accepted uh, your grand forgiveness. God, that you would teach us today and that we would come away changed. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So if you've got uh, your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, John chapter 21 this morning. We're going to be reading in a couple different passages, but uh, John 21 will be on the screen, and and we'll be coming back to it uh, throughout um, our time together. But just a little bit of background where we find ourselves in history is that um, Jesus had traveled and ministered with the disciples um, for about three years. He was arrested for things that were not crimes. Um, He was denied um, by Peter, and eventually his physical life came to an end as he was crucified uh, on a Roman cross. His lifeless body was buried um, in a tomb, and he came back to life three days later. After that, he appeared to um, the disciples in upper room and to doubting Thomas, and then he disappeared again. And now we find ourselves in John chapter 21. So look at verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Ha ha. Yes. There it is. It's biblical. So for those of you who just want to go fishing, Peter did it. So should we. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out, they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now, put this in a little bit of context here. Um, Later in the passage, it tells us that he's about 100 yards away from them. So if you can picture a football field and standing on the goal line and talking to someone that is 100 yards, the opposite goal line away from you, he probably wasn't like, you know, children, do you have any fish? He probably wasn't like, children, do you have any fish? He was probably yelling in this moment. Children, do you have any fish? And I'm sure it echoed in all of those things that happens when it's on the water. And they answered him, no. And they they don't recognize who he is at the moment. And here's this guy 100 yards away on shore as you've been out all night fishing, not catching, but fishing, and... This guy is calling you children, which is kind of strange, and he's asking if you have any fish. So they've got to be curious in this moment. And in verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Again, remember, they don't recognize who this random dude is 100 yards away talking to them. And he says, throw it on the right side, and you're going to find some. I want that guy on the shore when I'm fishing, (laughs) because I'm really good at casting. I'm not as awesome at catching. 
So, so here's Jesus in this moment. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. In verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. I want us to see a couple things here. That God comes to us, which is remarkable. That Jesus had lived and taught and done miracles with these men for three years. And yet here they were fishing after they knew he was back from the dead. And he had already given them instructions of what he wanted them to do for the rest of their life and the purpose of which they were to live for. Jesus doesn't wait for his disciples to come to him, but that God goes to them and he comes to us. Why does he do that? I think in, in this story and in my story with, with the whole water thing, it reminds us that our, our sin, our guilt, our shame, they keep us from going to Jesus, don't they? Even though we might know if we've been in church for a long time that God is a gracious God, that He is a loving and forgiving God, we allow our, our sin and our, our shame and our guilt to keep us from going to Him. And Peter was clearly distracted uh, by what I think are some of these things. Also, that God comes to us even when we don't recognize Him. I mean, Jesus is not on shore wearing a name badge. He doesn't start out by introducing Himself and he continued to talk to them, even though they didn't recognize him. And even Peter, he, he actually had to be told that, hey, <laughs> it's Jesus. He, he didn't even know it until somebody on the boat told him. And the third thing with this is that God oftentimes comes to us in familiar ways. And I think it's an act of grace. Check out Luke 5. See if this story sounds familiar to the one that we just read. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from land. And by the way, we're talking about Jesus here. And he sat down, he taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, or Peter, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And then their boats began to sink. 
But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Sound familiar? Jesus often comes to us in familiar ways. So much like the, their original call, where they went out fishing by night and they caught nothing. And Jesus tells them to put out their nets again and boom, lots of fish. So much so that in this moment, their boats began to sink. And in the moment we read uh, later in John, there were so many fish that were caught. Why does God do this? Why does he show up in ways that seem to remind us of another time in our lives? I think he wants us to recognize him. He wants us to remember, for here with Peter, he wants him to remember, I think, that, hey, do you remember that time where we were out in the boat together and you were tired and you'd been fishing all night and you caught nothing. And I told you to throw your nets over here and you're like, really? I'm just, I just want to go home and be alone. And later, after Peter denies Jesus and, and what I think is trying to just get away and get by himself and wallow in a little bit of his shame and his guilt, Jesus shows up and does the same miraculous thing uh, for Peter. I think he wants us to recognize him, and I, I also think he wants to heal and transform our minds. And, and I think it's, it's a gift of God that he does this, because much like for me, um, that yellow igloo five-gallon water cooler, it triggers me. We all have these kinds of things, and I, I don't know what yours is. Y yours is probably much worse than that moment, and I don't know why some of these things stick in our minds and haunt us, but I know for me, um, that moment with that item, I remember it, and it's still an emotional time for me, and I've got to imagine in a positive way uh, here for Peter that Jesus showing up to him while he's fishing and was fishing all night and caught nothing and God miraculously provides fish for him, it, it brings back to remembrance that time when God called him originally. So that for us, just the first thing I want us to hear today is that God comes to us. He comes to us. The second thing I, I want us to see is that God forgives us. Look at uh, verse 9 in John 21. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Which, first of all, I want to ask the question, where, where did Jesus get the fish? Does anybody else ask this question? I mean, was Jesus out there with a rod and reel? I mean, was Jesus fly fishing? You know, did Jesus have his own boat? Was Jesus just like, bam, you know, fire, fish, we're cooking I don't know, but Jesus already had um, some fish and some bread there with him. 
In verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many that the net was not torn, and Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples, or that he was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So just a couple interesting thoughts, that here Jesus was cooking this fish of, that came from somewhere. He wasn't, he wasn't in a hurry. Jesus wasn't rushing around thinking, hey, I've only got so much time. If you could really uh, hurry up, you're kind of cramping my schedule. <laughs> Jesus was like, hey, take, take care of, of those fish in the net and, and then come back and we'll have breakfast. I've also got to wonder, what was Peter thinking during this time? I, and I don't want to conjecture too much, but I, I've got to imagine that if, if it was me, I'm, I'm reliving what just happened days later. Much like that moment where I was called in to talk to my youth pastor on that fateful night. And the shame and the guilt uh, were probably just haunting his mind. And then it was a third time that Jesus appeared to them. Um, they were still not trying as disciples to fulfill the mission that Jesus had already clearly given them. They're out fishing. They're back to their old job, their old way of life, instead of doing the one thing that Jesus said in the beginning, which was that I will make you fishers of men. They're still out just fishing. So let's look at Peter for just a moment. Peter was clearly, as we read about him, he was zealous for Christ. Um, he seemed to be the one guy that uh, was most likely to answer uh, one of Jesus' questions, oftentimes with a quick answer, one clearly um, not thought through um, very well, but he was pretty passionate uh, most often about the answers that he gave Jesus. He's the guy that um, cut off one of the ears of Caiaphas' servants uh, when they came to arrest Jesus the night that he was betrayed. And he was the one at the Last Supper that was told by Jesus himself that you're going to deny me three times before the morning. Peter believed in that moment where he was told that, that he, he was above that. His faith was greater than that. Certainly, he was not going to be the one to deny Jesus. He believed that that was beneath him. But we also know that Peter did. He did deny Jesus three times, just like Jesus told him he would. And think about it. If, if you were that one that was traveling with Jesus, that you had had a moment where you left everything, your, your career, your friends, your family, your home, your culture, because Jesus called you to follow him and you had done that and you did. You followed him for three years and you sat uh, with him around the campfire each and every night telling stories. You saw him do miracles you saw him teach and just do incredible things. You saw the scriptures fulfilled um, before you. 
this, this was Peter, and yet he was the one that even after insisting that he would never do so, he was the one that denied even knowing Jesus. Imagine the guilt and the shame that he carried with him. This was, this was his friend. This was his Savior. This was God of the universe and one that he had sworn that he would not betray. And yet he did. He denied him. And it doesn't seem, at least according to Scripture, that he's ever really had much of a chance to apologize or make it right or to sit and have a heart-to-heart with Jesus at all. And all of his friends and all those uh, he would have hoped to, to lead, they've all witnessed this. All of the people that he would have been around in that culture, in that society, in that city, they would have seen and heard, oh, Peter was the one who he thought he was going to be um, the guy. And everyone knows that Peter denied Jesus. Much like for me, in that moment of dumping that cup and everyone turning and seeing me holding it, he carried that with him. And that he led people away from believing in Jesus when he was the one that was called to lead him to Christ. His ego, his reputation, his relationships, his character, his pride, they were all trashed in one night by what he did. And he was now likely confused about what to do or even where to go. Peter sinned against Jesus. Let's read about it just a couple chapters earlier in John 18. Verse 15, it said, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to, to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So Peter denies Jesus. What does this cause him to do? To leave what he had known for the past three years and to go and just retreat go back to what he knew how to do and just to be a fisherman of fish, not of people, as God had called him to be. What drove him to do it? Likely shame, likely guilt, likely fear. But Jesus had already forgiven him. And did you notice that the authors here were careful to point out that they were standing around a fire when Peter denied him? I think it's another moment for Peter as God is reliving with him as he's on the shore. Jesus, too, was sitting around a fire so that he might be able to heal that in him. But Jesus, in this moment, as he appears to them, he had already forgiven him. Jesus said when he was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Scriptures have said in Romans 3 that all have sinned 
we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us are doomed and condemned to a real place called hell because we have sinned. But that verse goes on to say that we're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's not just that we are condemned. Jesus came to die so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be able to take that guilt and that shame and that fear and leave it in the past. He came to forgive us. In Romans 10, Paul writes that because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we never know who's in the room, who might have never heard those words, that they too can be forgiven of all of the sin in their lives. That Jesus also meant when he was on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was talking about us and people of all history and people who will always come on our earth. That he is willing to forgive us as an act of grace. How do we receive that forgiveness? We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven of all of our sins for all time, no matter how bad, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how much we meant or didn't mean to do it, no matter how recent, no matter how hidden, no matter how dark or awful, he died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven. This is the good news of the gospel. So first, God comes to us, and second, God forgives us, and finally, in this passage in John 21, God sends us. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want us to know that the good news just it doesn't just stop with being forgiven. God does even more for us. He doesn't leave us in our sin or just forgive us. I mean, that would be enough, though, right? That he would do that. But God uses us. He uses our failures. He uses our past. He uses our hurts. He uses our pain. He uses our trauma. He uses all of these things so that others might know about him and that we might have the opportunity to be able to share this good news with other people. So here they sit around a fire. Just days before, just days before Peter was around a fire. And that moment will be forever marked in his mind. 
It's not going to go away. Of when and where he most failed Jesus when he denied him. We've all been triggered by many things, some of them big, some of them small. You've heard what triggers me. <laughs> so don't, don't be going putting yellow igloo five-gallon jugs on my front porch. I got cameras. <laughs> I will come and talk to you nicely in a Jesus way about it. <laughs> uh, we, we've all got these things. And God can take those horrible moments and he can make new ones. He doesn't desire for us to live there in our shame and our guilt. He desires to use those things for his glory. Are we, are we willing to allow God to redeem those moments in our lives for him to use us? I mean, how do we do that? I mean, do we have to remember um, all of those moments? I don't know that we have to relive them each and every day, but one thing that we have to do is we have to remind ourselves that it's not about us. The moments of pain in our lives, they're not about us. The moments that God wants to use them for, those moments, they're not, they're not about us. God wants to use them for His glory, for His fame, and for His name, not, not for ours. And He can redeem those things, and His grace gives us a better future. And with that yellow jug... Every time I see them, or an orange one, or a blue one, we've got those at church too, I'm, I'm reminded that God can forgive us, and God can heal those things, and He can use them for whatever He desires in the future. I'm reminded of those things. Peter had to remember it's not about him, never was. It was always about Jesus, his grace, his forgiveness, his plan, and his glory. For us, continue to remember it's not about us either. And God uses this campfire moment there on the shore in Peter's life to solidify his life calling, to care for God's people. Even though he's got a past, even though he is denied knowing his friend and his Savior, he says, you're the one I'm picking. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use all that junk in your life for my glory. So what do we do with all of this? First question I want us to ask ourselves is, have we ever confessed Jesus as Lord in our life and believed that he was raised from the dead? Have we, as individuals, been forgiven of our sin? If not, there's no better day than today talk about that and to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and to receive this gift of God's grace and to be forgiven. If you have uh, done that already, are you allowing God to redeem your hurt, your shame, and your pain? Are you allowing God to use that so that others might hear about the good news of Jesus Christ? And are you going because God's sending you. If you claim his name and you claim to be a follower of Christ, God is sending you. Are you willing to go? Wherever that might be. It might be in your living room. It might be to your neighbor. It might be to somebody 
down the street from you. It might be somebody at the grocery store, at your work, at your office. It might be somebody on the ball field. It might be anyone at any time. Are you willing to go and to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ? My hope is that we are. And when we are, we will see God do amazing, amazing things. So let's pray. God, we are grateful today that you come to us. God, we're grateful that you forgive us. And God, uh, we are grateful that you send us. And God, I ask that um, you would speak to our hearts again, that wherever we are in this process, in these moments, that we would hear your voice. God, that we would have this campfire moment with you. And God, that our lives would be forever changed. That you would heal us and transform us. And God, that um, here in Lithopolis and Canal Winchester and Columbus, that your name, above all names, would be lifted up. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.